0: hear the news, it's not good, you better prepare, life's not worth living, you seem to say, why go through pain and sorrow, is it really worth it, it's then you hear that still small voice, together I see your tears fall, I see your broken heart, just bring them to the throne, you'll never be left alone, you hide your broken heart beneath your smile, no one understands the burden you bear. You go through life alone, it seems. You ask, does anyone care? It's then you hear that still small voice, my child, I'm still here. I see your tears fall. I see your broken heart. Just bring them to the throne. You'll never be left alone.
1: Thank you, Rebecca. I think that is a song that she wrote. Got a good meaning to it. The battle. For your mind. Second Corinthians chapter number ten. 2 Corinthians chapter number ten. Look at verse number three. If you had more teachy than preachy tonight, I just want to get some gain some truths that'll help us the battle for your mind. Verse number three, the Apostle Paul said, the Word of God says, For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war after the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God, to the pulling down of strongholds casting down imaginations and every high thing that exalteth itself against the knowledge of God and bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ and having in a readiness to revenge all disobedience when your obedience is fulfilled. Father, help us with the teaching tonight. We have so much to be thankful for. Uh, As Mrs. Bliss shared just moments ago throughout this week, Lord, how you've warmed my heart. Uh, To see just one answer to prayer after the other. We praise your name. We understand that we're limited. and, And Father, we just thank you that you hear. And you've encouraged us to come boldly to the throne of grace. That we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in the time of need. Lord, I pray you'd instruct us tonight through your word. Help us that we might understand the warfare that is ahead of us concerning our mind. And I pray for your aid as I teach tonight in Jesus' name. Amen. The battle for your mind. Some of the battles in life that we have are rather silly and simple. Uh, the You heard about the man that was trying to lose weight, and his downfall was donuts. He could never pass by the donut place without pulling in. His car just automatically pulled into the donut place. Uh, and this man said, you know, I'm going to get victory over this. And so he decided this. He said, you know what? I'm going to drive past the donut place tomorrow. And if there's not a place, a parking lot right in front of the front door, I will not stop. And you know what? After eight times around the parking lot, <laughs> there was finally a place right in front of the front door. I don't know if that's your battle. It's a battle with me. I remember and in New Mexico, when we worked for the church there, I drove a bus. Another man and I uh, drove separate buses, and I remember when these folks from Old Mexico came and right on, right on, Brother Sal is Leda Boulevard. They put in a Mexican bakery. I can smell it. Oh my! I don't know if I'm saying this right, empanadas, but I remember stopping there, just pulling the bus over and going inside on a Sunday afternoon. And walking into that Mexican bakery, and they honestly they didn 't speak they didn 't speak English, but I could point point. Uh, and i 'd say and you know they made those little uh, their fruit pies, basically, and you know, I kid you not, in just three or four weeks of ta- uh, time on Sunday alone, I gained about five or six pounds just on those empanadas, but I had to go down that road going home. Some of our battles are silly. There is a battle that we all fight that is deadly and sinister. And that's the battle for your mind and the battle for mine. The message tonight is really a call to arms. God did not save us to help us to live in failure or fear, but help us to live in victory. There's three things here that Apostle Paul tells us about how concerning the battle for our mind. Number one, first of all, look at verse number four. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but are mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds, the wherefore of our foe. Ask you this ourselves tonight. Who is it that has declared war on you and me? Who is it? It's Satan, 2 Peter chapter 5. Verse number 8 talks about, be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the who? The devil walketh around as a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. And he is our enemy. There is a deadly array of weapons Satan has gathered against us. And Paul mentions them here. He mentions, first of all, watch this, verse 5, casting down, he mentions strongholds in the latter part of verse number 4 he also mentions imaginations and then a high thing that exalteth itself against the knowledge of God. Let's take the meaning of this, imagination. The thoughts, these are thoughts that Satan brings again and again to our mind that are not proper thoughts. I ask you this tonight. Can Satan put into our mind as a child of God, can he cause to enter into our mind Thoughts that are not right. Yes. Ephesians 6, talked to us about that. I believe Ephesians 6, we'll turn there in a minute. The Bible says, take the shield of faith, wherewithal ye shall be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked one. And I believe that those are thoughts that Satan sends into our mind. Now watch that. If we dwell on those, they become imaginations. We begin to live them out. We begin to think on them. I believe it was Billy Sunday that said this, you cannot keep a bird from flying over your head, but you can keep him from building a nest there. So when those thoughts come into our mind, we must choose whether or not to dwell on them. Imaginations, the thoughts that Satan brings again and again to our mind. Sometimes it's a thought of fear. It's a thought of fear. Uh, and we need to remind ourselves about just like rebecca song, about the presence of god he'll never leave us or forsake us sometimes it's of failure sometimes it's of sexuality and sometimes it's of worry now secondly you think about this then he talks about strongholds satan brings into our into our minds imaginations if we dwell on them then those imaginations we act upon them and they become strongholds Now, we are acting out with those thoughts that Satan has brought into our minds. And then he gains a foothold. He gains another foothold. And pretty soon, Satan has a stronghold in our life. I put it this way in my notes. The strongholds, these are the imaginations we have acted upon. These are castles that Satan has established in our minds. Areas where Satan has been victorious over us. Can I say this to you tonight? There's a difference in our mind and our brain. Okay? Now, if it was Sarah or if it was Miss Rogers or Karen or one of our musicians here tonight, when one of our musicians goes over to the piano and begins to play, where is the music coming from? Is it coming from the piano Or is it coming from the pianist? Now think about this. So Satan, watch this, will get into our mind. But there's a difference in our mind and our brain. I like to think of it this way. That that your, your mind, what your mind does is your thinking. Your brain is what you think with. So when Satan sends those thoughts, those imagination into our heart that we should not dwell on. He sends them into our mind. Don't dwell on them. Defeat them through. Now, they say this. I would love to see this one day. Brother Ernst tells me he has seen this. I've read about it. They say this still exists in Germany. Satan so tried to destroy Martin Luther... And one time they say that when Martin Luther was in his home in his office and Satan began to bring some of those thoughts into his mind that he literally took up a bottle of ink and he threw it against the wall trying to hit Satan. And they say that splotch and that that ink is still there on the walls today. When Satan brings those thoughts into our mind, we have a choice. I'm going to let's break this down a little bit though. The warfare Of our foe. When we got saved, we got the mind of Christ. True? Philippians 2 5. Can anybody quote it? Anybody quote it? Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but humbled himself. Now watch this and became obedient to death, even to the death of the cross. So we, when we got saved, we got the mind of Christ. Look at chapter 11, if you would, and verse number 2 through 5. Now watch me. I'm gonna, it looks like we're springing off. But stay with me. For I'm jealous over you with a godly jealousy. For I have espoused you to one husband. What is Paul talking about here? That I may present you a, as a chaste virgin to Christ. But I fear, lest by any means, as the serpent beguiled Eve through this, his subtlety, so your minds should be corrupted with the simplicity that is in Christ. Is Paul still talking about our mind? Is he still talking about the warfare of our mind? And now he's on, he's on husband and wife issues. Now watch us. Look at the next verse. For if he cometh... For if he that cometh preacheth another Jesus whom we have not preached, or if we receive another spirit which ye have not received, or another gospel which ye have not accepted, ye might well bear with us. For th- I purpose I was not at wit behind the very chiefest apostle. Now go back. Look what he says here. Verse 2. For I am jealous over you with a godly jealousy. For I have espoused you to one husband. I ask you this. Since you've got saved, do you have the mind of Christ? Who do you belong to? You belong to Jesus. Now, what is the analogy Paul is given here? That word there, when he says this, when he says, uh, look at this, but I fear lest by any means has a serpent beguiled Eve through his subtlety, so your mind should be corrupted from the what? Simplicity that is in Christ. That word simplicity means this, single-minded devotion. The Holy Spirit has told us, I, you have the mind of Christ. I want you to focus on the simplicity is in Christ and have that single-minded devotion to Christ. Paul gives the analogy of a husband and a wife. He gives us the analogy of a faithful daddy who sees his job as bringing his young girl up. And making sure everything he brings into her life so that one day she can walk down that aisle and present herself to her future husband, chaste and clean and pure. And moms and dads, I think that ought to be a noble goal if you're rearing children. And by the way, can I say this to you? We always focus on the young lady. We should also focus on our young men. Young men, you too ought to be chaste and clean and pure and present yourself to your bride at that marriage altar in chastity and purity. Somebody said it this way, that there is a need for purity in the church today. There's a need. The church has forgotten how to blush. Our young girls and our young men are selling their purity for far too cheap. I read this week about, I don't know what day and time this took place. I just read it in in some material that I was reading this week. But years ago, there was a famous musician and his name was William Betts. One day, Mr. Betts was in his music studio and off of the street came in a man that had greasy matted hair and he had tattered clothes and he had a violin case a case that was just it was just tattered and torn and he told Mr. Betts he said I would like you to buy my violin I'm just trying to get something to eat and Mr. Betts looking at this man and looking at his condition and look at the condition of the violin case and I'm, I'm not interested I'm not buying any used instruments at the time. He said, sir, listen, all I want from this violin is something so I can, so I can eat, I can feed myself another meal or two. And Mr. Betts says, sir, I'm, I'm not interested. And finally, he said, okay. He said, what do you want for your violin? And he said, I'll take $5. Mr. Betts gave him $5 so he could just get the man out of his store. And just in a matter of minutes, he went over to that violin case and he picked up that violin and he raised it to his chin, and he began to uh, bring that bow across that violin, and rich, melodious sounds came out of that violin. And he knew this was not an ordinary violin. And he tells the story. I don't know why this is, uh, Sarah or Brother Tyrell, but he said he held it up to the light, and he looked inside, and inside that violin was the name Antonio Stradivaria. He realized this man had just sold him his Stradivarius uh, violin, and he realized, I don't want to take advantage of that man. He laid it down, and he rushed out trying to find this man, and he couldn't find it. He didn't want to take advantage of that man. I wonder later on, he tells us he kept that into his music shop for a while, and then after a while, he sold that violin for $5,000. Our young men and young ladies today are selling themselves to Satan far too cheap. Our world has gone wild in its thought life. I want you to look at, leave a marker there. Turn to Genesis chapter number 6. I was reminded of this as I studied for this lesson. Do you know that God destroyed an entire civilization because of their thought life? Look at Genesis chapter number 6 and look at verse number 5 and 6. And God saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth. And the imagination of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. And it repented the Lord that he had made man on the earth and it grieved him at his heart. And sometimes in the Old Testament and New Testament alike, the word heart is the same for mind. And he's saying here, the thoughts of the man's mind in his heart was evil continually. And God destroyed an entire generation because their thought life was not right. Go back now to Second Corinthians if you would. What is the warfare of our foe? Mamas and daddies, and I know we don't have the majority of our church with us tonight, but can I encourage you, and I know I'm old-fashioned, I'm a fuddy-dud. We better know what our children are listening to. U.S. News and World Report 2006. Now listen, this is not a Baptist preacher writing this. This is a reporter he said, "Rock music has filled the hearts and minds of our youth with violence, sadomasochism, vulgarity, promiscuity, rebellion, homosexuality, drugs, and even rape." The average American teenager, listen to this, parents. The average American teenager, and this is two thousand six, listens to ten thousand five hundred hours of rock music in the grades of through seven and twelfth grades. That's only 500 hours less than their entire hours in school, kindergarten through 12. Our kids are putting in their minds the rock music, rock musicians, and the rock music. Listen, and this is listen. These are not our friends. National Education Association, liberal, extremely. Listen to what they say. We are certain that over 60% of the more than 5,000 suicides we see in teenagers in America today is actually because of the music they listen to. Moms and dads, that music will turn the heart of your child away from you. So we look at this, the warfare of our foes, and we think about this, we must guard our minds. Look at Romans chapter 8. We must guard our minds. Romans chapter number 8. And this is a child of God. This is saved. Romans chapter 8 and look at verse number 6. For to be carnally minded is what? This is what the Education Association is saying. Over half of the teenagers that are taking their life, is because of music they listen to. To be carnally minded is death. Look at verse, finish the verse there if you would. But to be spiritually minded is life and peace. Look in your Bible at Proverbs chapter number 23. By the way, parents, let me say this to you. We will help you in this ministry. If you'll put your children and be faithful into the patch clubs, into Sunday school, we'll help you. Those little boys and girls, look at a couple weeks ago as they stood in front of us and recited verses and sang biblical songs. What are we trying to do through that music, through those songs, through the word of God? We're trying to get into their heart and mind the things of Christ. Look at Proverbs chapter 23 and look at verse number 7. For as he thinketh in his heart. Now see, you see, we're saying, you don't think with your heart, do you? But oftentimes in the Old Testament, the heart and the mind are brought together as the entity through which Satan moves us. For as he thinketh in his heart, so is he. Eat and drink, saith he, to thee, but his heart is not with thee. Now watch it. I'm going to give you another warning. This is part of the Wednesday night training this week as well. Transcendental meditation. Yoga. No Christian should be involved with yoga. None. You say, preacher, but but I use it for, for just relaxing. Watch this. Transcendental meditation is opening your mind, right? And you're opening it all right. But you don't know what you're opening it to. Do this tonight. Take the same analogy to your house. Just say, I'm gonna open all my doors, all my windows. And I'm going to go to bed at night and see what comes into me. In our neighborhood, it would be a coyote or a jackrabbit or a snake or a tumbleweed. Child of God, be careful with this. We should not open up our mind and not knowing what we're opening our minds to. Finish the verse. Thou will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is what? Stayed on thee. You open your mind through transcendental meditation and yoga and some of these Eastern mysticism type things. Go ahead and open your mind and Satan and the demons of hell will come in and visit you. They'll do it. Be very careful with that. The devil... Wants your mind, and God wants your mind as well. And we have the mind of Christ. Now, I'm going to make something that's very controversial. Stay with me. I'm going to make a statement. Some will disagree with me. I challenge you to base it on the Word of God. When God speaks to us, He does it through our mind, not our emotions. Your emotions and mine are the weakest, shallowest part of our character. God speaks through our mind and not through emotions. But help me with this. How many of our churches have, we talked about this just briefly this morning, have taken the teaching and the preaching out of the services and brought in music that will bring the young people in, that will make them tap their toe? Watch this. All music God ordained is a mixture of melody, harmony, and rhythm. We could prove to you from the word of God that the rhythm should have about 2% of our music. Rhythm should be in the last place in all of our music. Why? Because rhythm speaks to our body. Rhythm speaks to our emotion. Melody and harmony speaking to yourselves in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, making melody in your hearts unto the Lord. But watch this. We've been duped by the devil as pastors and religious leaders. Fill your... When we bought this building, some of you will remember. Who was here? Who was here? Do you remember? Who, raise your hand again. Brother Bill, Mrs. Kane, Brother Miss Bliss. Do you remember what was right here? Drummer's cage, plexiglass coming up here, going back. I have no problem with drums in a service, none. Use them for the Lord. Guitar, flute, cello, violin, piano. Use it for the Lord. But whenever we bring into our service, how many times I think even today that somebody left the service and they were touched by the music, by the, by the rock music that came into our church and think that God met with them. God doesn't speak to our emotions. He speaks to us through our minds. How does God do that? Number one, he communicates with us through our minds. In Philippians chapter 4, a matter of fact, turn there. Watch what he says in Philippians chapter number 4. Look at verse number 8. Finally, brethren, whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are honest, whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are of a good report, if there be any virtue, if there be any praise, what's the next word? Think on these things god saying i want you to think on the things of my word i want you to think on my faithfulness i want you to dwell in my word and i'm going to speak to you through your mind i'm going to communicate through your mind number two god changes us through our minds look at ephesians chapter four he not only communicates through our minds he changes us through our minds ephesians chapter four and look at verse number twenty two that ye put off concerning the former conversation, that means manner of living, the old man, which is corrupt according to the deceitful lust, and be what? Renewed in the spirit of your mind. God changes us through our mind. Go with me? We're not going to turn there. Romans twelve two. Romans twelve one starts something like this. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God ye present your bodies a what? Living, sacrifice, wholly acceptable unto God, which is reasonable service. And be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by emotions. Get some good music and get the, the feeling from your toes to your head. He said, listen, I'm going to transform you. I'm going to communicate through my word and through my spirit. I'm going to speak to your mind. I'm going to communicate to you and I'm going to change you. By speaking to you through your mind. Can I encourage you with this? Do you know any person in here can change your marriage? You can change your marriage if you change your mind. How you think about that marriage. You can change your financial picture if you'll change your mind concerning finances. And if you don't change your mind concerning finances, marriage your finances or whatever it might be, you're not going to change. You might have a warm and fuzzy feeling. Sometime you might be convicted, make your way to the altar and say, God, give me help with this. And, and for a while you do okay. But until and unless our mind changes, we're not going to make permanent changes. Look back at 2 Corinthians. Now, if you would please, uh, not only the warfare, Warfare of our foe. I want to show you the weakness of our flesh. 2 Corinthians chapter 10. Look at verse number 3. The Apostle Paul warns the Corinthian believers here. And this warning extends to us. 2 Corinthians chapter number 10. Look together, if you would, please, in verse number 3. For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war after the flesh. What is he talking about? How your flesh and mine does not have what it takes to be victorious. We don't. Why do men go to monasteries? You know why they go to monasteries? To get their flesh under control. Your sexual desires, your appetite, your personal desires. You come to a monastery... And you stay in this monastery and you're going to get your flesh under control. You did hear about the man that went to the monastery. This monastery that he went to, they had some rules. And one of the rules was you only get to speak two words a year. This man went through his whole first year and he came in and he stood before his superior. Remember, he only has two words. And the man said, how are you doing here in the monastery? What are you learning? And he said, food, bad. That was his two words for the year. Another year out into the monastery, comes back before his superior, and he said, now how are you doing? He said, bed, hard. Another year in the monastery, comes back, stands before his superior, and then he says, I quit. The man said, well, you might as well quit. All you've done in three years since you've been here is complain. (laughs) You and I can't get control of our flesh on our own. And so Paul talks about it here. We don't fight with flesh and blood because we don't fight flesh and blood. You know what? Here's a mistake I think we made with past presidents, with past congressmen. I'm going to say this to you. And you better pray as Christians. I told my wife this week, Colorado could elect its first, more than likely, gay governor this year. But we look at somebody in the White House or somebody in the Supreme Court, we look at somebody and just say, you know what, we're going to battle against them. We don't do battle with flesh and blood because we don't fight flesh and blood. Look at Ephesians chapter six. Go with me if you would please. Ephesians chapter number six. Ephesians chapter six and lookers verses number ten through verse number thirteen. Finally, my brethren, be strong, what? In the Lord. We're weak in ourselves, but strong in the Lord and the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. Now watch what Paul says here. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood. We're not wrestling against a president. We're not wrestling against a teacher, a godless teacher. We're not wrestling against a godless legislator. We're not wrestling against a godless judge. We're wrestling against Satan himself. Now look at this, what it says, for we wrestle not, what does it say there, against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in all places. Education can't help us. I want good education. I want teachers that stop teaching our kids about how they can, daddy has, uh, uh, junior has two daddies. I don't want teachers to teach my kids or my grandkids, a little late for my kids, my grandkids about the ways of the world. And I think this, we have in our, you should pray for Mary Chavez. You should pray for the teachers in our city that they would stand and take a stand. But education is not the answer. Legislation is not the answer. I put this in my notes. Legislation can only punish evil. It can't prevent it. Now, I want good legislation. I want good legislators. But the truth of the matter is, America should not and does not find its morality in the legislation that is passed. Environmentalism and environment is not the answer. Adam and Eve fell in a perfect environment. We don't fight with flesh and blood. And we think about this, the weakness of our flesh. They tell us years and years ago in one of the insane asylums in the United States, that as they look to transition, some of these people that came through there, some of these inmates, they had a battery of tests that these inmates had to pass to see whether or not they're able to go out in the general public. One of the tests, they would take them into a secure room and they would stop up the sink, and they would turn the faucets on and watch the sink overflow, and they'd give the inmate a mop and a, and a bucket and say, keep the floor clean. And they realized this. If that inmate didn't go first over to that faucet and turn the faucet off, if he just tried to mop and stay ahead of it, that man wasn't right mentally. Can I tell you this, child of God, tomorrow what we need to do is turn Satan's faucet off in our minds. It might be through the music we listen to. It might be in, the, in what, we, what we watch or what we look at on the Internet. Whatever it might be, it might be in our reading material. It might be in those jokes that you get around to people at work. Turn Satan's faucet off in your mind. We don't have the strength in and of ourselves. Number three, we look at this, lastly, the weapons of our fight. Go back to Corinthians, if you would please, second Corinthians chapter number ten. Paul in these passages points to the weapons we must use. Look at verse number four again. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. Number one, the sovereignty of our commander. We don't fight these battles in our mind alone. He says, through God. What did Paul Paul, say in Philippians 4, verse 13? Say it with me if you can. I can do all things through Christ which... Do you know there's only two words that separate Christianity and secular humanism in that verse? Secular humanism says, I can do all things. Christianity says... I could do all things through Christ which strengthens me. You are weak and I am weak. But what we want to do is turn off that faucet when Satan comes to us tomorrow and those imaginations that come into our mind, God doesn't want us to dwell on them. And if we dwell on them, they'll become strongholds in our life. There's castles and walls that we've got to take down, turn the faucet off of Satan's temptation and just say, God, I am weak, but you are strong, the sovereignty of our commander. In World War II, Before the end of that war, some of the Allied commanders went to those in command in Japan and said, the war is going against you. We're going to be victorious. It would be best that you surrender now. And the leaders of Japan said, under no conditions will we surrender. So America and the Allied forces... Dropped two A-bombs, one on Nagasaki and one on Hiroshima. It brought Japan to its knees. Can I tell you this, child of God? Listen to this. On Calvary's cross, God the Father dropped an A-bomb on Satan. He's a defeated foe. He has no power over you, and he has no power over me. Remember who our commander is. I ask you this tonight. finish the verse matthew twenty eight nineteen and twenty All power is given unto me in heaven and in earth. Go. Yea, therefore, we sung about, I love to tell this story, we don't have to go when we share the gospel in our own strength. God said this, Jesus Christ said, all power is given unto me. I'm going to give that power unto you. That power means authority. Amen. I have something in my car I'm not looking forward to using. But it's going to come, and it's going to come soon. And I went a couple months ago to my brother's house in, Ohio, he put all of his affairs in order. And he handed me his will. And he said, Gordon, this gives you the authority to take care of all of my affairs. You have the authority. Child of God, remember who your commander is. You have the authority and the power of God. We, our enemy, is a defeated foe. I ask you this tonight. I've never thought about this. Would you rather do battle with David's sling or Goliath's sword? Goliath had a massive sword. This was part of my own Bible reading this week. And you think about Goliath, how big he was and the coat of mail that he had and, and what, was, what how, he was shot, how he was adorned for war and a mighty sword. But a little ruddy, you know what ruddy means, redheaded, a little redheaded, skinny little boy named David with the power of God upon him that God came upon and he killed the lion and he killed the bear and he said, who is this uncircumcised Philistine? He's defying the armies of the living God. Is there not a cause? And David with a, with a little sling and five smooth stones. And did you ever catch this? I'm excited about this every time I read it. Do you know when, when David went out against Goliath? The Bible said David ran towards Goliath. Eager for the battle. Then he stood on Goliath. God, he hit Goliath. Goliath went head down. And David stood on him and took his own sword and cut his head off. Kind of gross, isn't it? And then grabbed the hair of Goliath and the head of Goliath and marched in back to the throne. Hey, Saul, look what I got. Child of God, so many times we think that we need the sword of Goliath, but the sling of David is better. Number two, remember the authority of our commission. Number three, and lastly, remember the certainty of our courage. Here's the crux of the message tonight. Who do you belong to? Jesus The battle has already been won is that true Galatians 2:20 say it with me I am crucified with Christ, nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith, the power, the authority of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. When Christ said it was finished on the cross, he went as, it, as so to fulfill biblical prophecy for three days and three nights into the heart of the earth. But up from the grave he arose with a mighty triumph over his foes. We serve a risen Savior. And His power is ours. His victory is ours. Look one last text. Philippians chapter I'm uh, Proverbs chapter 4. So what must I do? Those imaginations come into our heart tomorrow. Don't dwell on them. They'll turn into strongholds. they are strongholds in our life. We need God's power and God's victory to overcome them. Look at Proverbs 4, 23. Keep thy heart with all diligence, for out of it are the issues of life. I guess we preachers sometimes get off by we study little words. That word keep. Why would any pastor ever study that word keep? But I did. Here's what it means. Garrison. Build walls around your mind. Keep it. Guard it. Garrison your mind. Go with me. Let me give you an analogy, and we're going to close. Does this ever happen to you? I hate going to the airport. I don't personally like flying. But one of the things I hate most is going through security. I don't care what it is. I can take off everything I have, put it in that little basket, I walk through beep 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 beep. Get back here. They're gonna wand you. Now, Parkview Medical Center, if you go there after eight o'clock at night, you gotta go through the same thing. Huh? Wouldn't it be great? We're not gonna do this, there are no such thing. Wouldn't it be great if we had a what do they call those? A magnemometer or whatever it is. Wouldn't it be great if God could put, we could put in our churches a spiritual magnemometer, and the services are over and you're walking out and it goes beep, 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 beep. Your heart's not right. Get back in. (laughs) Wouldn't that be good? Sometimes the pastor couldn't get through. I'd have to spend the night here. Say, preacher, what are you saying? Tomorrow. If you open up your electronic device and you see some images you shouldn't see, that is the imagination coming into your heart. And God is saying to his spirit, that, that spiritual magnumometer said, Turn off the faucet. Get away from that. Don't dwell on that. Don't look at that. Keep thy heart with all diligence. Guard it. Garrison it. For why? Out of it are the issues of life. God made us. So that we cannot think two thoughts at the same time. Isn't that good? So if I'm thinking on God, I can't be thinking things that are against God. If I'm thinking Philippians chapter 4, things that are true and honest and just and pure and all those things. And by the way, if that was our, our guiding point on what we should think about, we could never watch television again. Tomorrow, Satan's coming after you. Tomorrow, Satan's coming after me. I finished with this, and I don't remember who said it, but Brother Sal, it convicts me each and every day of my life. Again, two weeks ago after a Sunday night service, I think it was, we went home and somebody sent me something on the phone. And Pastor Rogers, have you heard? And another another good-sized ministry and another man, he fell into sin. And and I just, I don't want to hear it anymore. And I'm going to say this to you. The same thing could happen to Pastor Rogers. And the same thing could happen to you. And mark this down. If you ever hear, God forbid, but Pastor Rogers fell, mark this down. He didn't fall into sin. He went in with his eyes wide open. Behind every human tragedy is the slow, evil process of wicked thinking. One more time. Behind every human tragedy is the slow, evil process process of wicked thinking here's what we're doing sometimes spiritually we're coming to church and we're trying to mop all of this up all of the things we've looked at this week we're mopping them up mopping up what God wants us to do go shut the faucet off and then yield your mind and your heart understand who our commander is understand he's given us victory and authority over the devil and with him we can be victorious and we can have the mind of Christ how to guard our mind. God made us so that we can think two thoughts, cannot think two thoughts at one time. So think on these things.